Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings to the Nonprofit Exchange. It's our interview series. Uh, we're six and a half years into talking to people with experience, with ideas, with wisdom. Uh, some people even did things wrong and they learned that didn't work. Uh, some things, some people have multitasked and done amazing things. So today, we're, we're talking about the future of America. And it's, I think it's near and dear to everybody's, every, on everybody's mind right now. And um, so Mike Gauss, you're in Washington, D.C., and welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Please tell people a little bit about who Mike is. Well, you're good to be here. Uh, let me start with my traditional greetings. Uh, the interfaith that I call it pluralism greetings, then I'll mention about who I am. Friends, greetings. Greetings as a way to break ice between strangers. You know the problems in the society we have because we don't know each other, we are afraid of each other. When we go into a all black neighborhood or all white neighborhood or all Vietnamese, Mexican neighborhood, generally we are apprehensive. If somebody says hi to you, all of a sudden you feel relief, uh, at ease. So in religions, each religion, every faith has designed a greetings to welcome. For example, in the Hindu tradition, if you say namaste, it simply means let the good in me connect with the good in you. When in the Abrahamic traditions, when we say salam, shalom, or peace to you, what we are saying is may God uh, shower his blessings on you and peace on you. And when we repeat that to each other, we are conditioning each other to be in peace. So when we get together and talk, we are achieving peace. So let me just share quickly a few greetings from different traditions. The Baha'i greetings, Allah Abho. Then the Buddhist greeting is Buddha Namo. The Christian greeting, peace to you. The Hindu greeting, Namaste. The Jain greeting, Jai Jinendra. The Jewish greeting, Shalom. The Sikh greeting, Satriyakal. The Muslim greeting, Salaam Alaikum. And the Zoroastrian greeting, Hamazor, uh, Hama Ashabed, and uh, Native American greetings in general, Ahopiva. All these greetings simply mean, let the goodness in you connect with the goodness in me. Let's have a peaceful conversation so we can create peace among us. So with that greeting, now I'll talk about Mike. My name is Mike Gauss. I was an atheist for most of my life then chose to become a Muslim in 1999. And there is a reason for that. If you get time, I can go into that. But my, I'm very deeply committed to you to pluralism. Pluralism is respecting the otherness of other. You are who you are, I am who I am. Let you live your life, I live my life. The Almighty God has created each one of us to be a unique being our own thumbprints, seven and a half billion people have their own thumbprints, eye prints, DNA, taste buds. We are that unique. 
that each one can be clearly identified who each one is. So with that, our thought process is also unique. Even though we may be trained one certain way, still we have our own uniqueness attached to that belief and that faith. So I'm deeply committed to that. And uh, I believe uh, it is my calling when uh, as an atheist, when I was searching for something called pluralism, that is respecting all humanities. The little story behind that you is in 1996, uh, all my I had a radio show there in Dallas. Everybody asked me to join the Thanksgiving Square in Dallas, which is the big center, multicultural center. <laughs> all of them were my friends from the Baha'i to Zoroastrian. So I put in the application. Two days later, my Baha'i friend, who was the president of the organization, called me and said, Mike, we can't have the membership for you here. And I said, why, Kevin, well, why can't I be a member? He said, we don't have a slot for you. What do you mean? See, each one has a pigeonhole, Baha'i, Buddhist, Christian, Muslim or something. You don't have one, we don't have your pigeonhole, being an atheist. I said, why don't you create one? I said, no, we, it's about people in, who believe in God. I said, I understand that. So then I said, fine, you guys stay there. Then we went ahead and set up an organization called Foundation for Pluralism, where every American, regardless of their faith and belief, is welcome. And that's how we began my story about pluralism. And at one time, nobody knew how to pronounce pluralism, Hugh. Now everybody pronounces it. If you Google search the word pluralism and writings between 1990 to year 2000, there may be only about 500 or 600 entries with uh, pluralism and half of them are by me. From 2000 to 2010, there are about 50,000. Now there are a million and everybody started writing about pluralism. And I'm glad to be at this point here where we established the Center for Pluralism. I'd uh, hopefully to create a cohesive America where each American, every American feels secure about who he or she is, regardless of his faith, race, tradition, whatever uniqueness he or she has, one should feel secure about living in our country, in America, where the land of the free. So that's my story. Love it, love it. So um, the Center for Pluralism, now people listening to the podcast won't be able to see this, but I'm going to pull it out for the people watching the video. This is uh, Center for Pluralism uh, dot com. Oh. Uh -huh. And it says, uh, also known as America Together Foundation. And um, you've talked about a, a, a society that has some, some, uh, some continuity, some cohesiveness to it. So speak about some of the goals of this, this Center for Pluralism. Well, this, the, the primary goal, our mission is to create a society where all Americans feel secure about who they are. That is our mission. And what we'd like to see, our vision is to see that you, me, or anyone get along with each other. Hugh, 10 years from now, maybe it is now, you will not find a place of worship, 
a playground, a cricket ground, or a theater, or a restaurant, or any public space where you will not see people of different faiths, races, and traditions interacting with each other, and uh, studying together, eating together, and even marrying together. When these interactions are happening from two different ethnicities, races, and cultures, is bound to create conflicts. And the conflicts come because of lack of understanding of each other. When these conflicts come, it will create tensions between people. You are in my role, I'm glad you're doing this show, to the interfaith community and the nonprofit community. We have an obligation, since we have some ideas about how to take care of this, an obligation to create a society where these conflicts can be mitigated, lowered, people can enjoy life rather than fighting about the understanding of cultural nuances or religious beliefs. Instead of fighting them, we can work on learning about each other and enjoying life. There is so much to enjoy in life. Let's enjoy that life instead of fighting over races, ethnicity, and culture. And uh, this is our whole mission of Center for Pluralism. In that, we have five segments, Hugh. Uh, I would say that we started out with uh, the first segment as pluralism in religion. It is respecting different ways of worshiping the creator and accepting their devotion as, as legitimate as my own. Whether you are a Hindu, Christian, Jew, Muslim, you are dedicated, you are bowing to the creator. You're being humble to the creator putting us all on the same level. And that is pluralism in religion. In politics, of course, we have two major parties in the United States, the Republicans and the Democrats. And, and of course, this requires a lot of discussions. And yet, even though we differ on many issues, much of it is hype. Much of it is hype. I attended the CPAC meeting. I realized half of the conversation there, CPAC, was pure hype rather than the talk. So if we can bring Republicans and Democrats together, we will figure out that the real authentic differences are just a handful, like the uh, birth, uh, abortion. There are very few issues we differ, but a majority of the issues we differ, agree. So on those issues, we need to come together and cut down the rhetoric about each other. That's pluralism in politics. Pluralism in society, different ethnicities, and Arab wearing the turban and the Sikh community wearing the turban. To some people that looks different. To some people it looks weird. Who sets the standard that my clothes are the standard that God wants? There is no such standard. Each one of us is our own model, our own unique standard. We don't have to be like anybody else, but we have to learn to accept that. That I may eat a medium rare steak, you may eat a well done steak. We accept that, that it is your taste and my taste. We don't fight over that. So we need to work on the same thing in politics. And uh, in the workplace, people come with different baggage. I may be trained to believe that don't trust the Jews, don't trust the Muslims, don't trust the black people. I don't trust the white people. With that baggage, as 
poisoned as a child. When I come to work, I'm not giving 100% of me to my employer because my fellow employee, maybe Jewish, black, or a Muslim, I am not communicating completely all my ideas with them because we don't trust them. It may not be on the surface, but deep down it is there. So pluralism at workplace is learning to open up to each other and giving the full thing. And when you go back home from the work, you are not biting that guy, that Muslim guy, that Jewish guy, that black guy. It is burning you in your mind. You are not giving 100% of you to your spouse, your husband or wife or children. Each time we start giving 100% of us to our family, to workplace and whatever we do. So that is pluralism at workplace. These are the five key aspects of the work we do here. That's, that's amazing. Um, in, um, in, in past years, I had the pleasure of working with a group that um, produced um, international choir competitions. It was like Olympics for choirs, but obviously that wasn't a word they could use. And every two years, a major, um, um, a major event would happen in some other continent. And so, um, like my first, so I helped them bring it to America because, you know, in America, we don't know much about what goes on outside of our borders. Um, and in the South, we don't know much about anything. We think California is another country. So yes. we, have a, we have somewhat of a limited, um, and we have our own greeting, you know, it's hi, y'all. Uh, so uh, uh, there was, it was fascinating. And I went to the first um, one in 2008 in Graz, and then we went to China for a second time, and then it came to America in 2012. But in Graz, um, they were pushing the limits. They had 450 choirs from oh, 120 countries. Now, the common denominator here was choral music, was singing in choirs. Now, the, the, the Russians and Ukrainians don't sing like the Chinese. They don't sing like the South Africans. They don't sing like the Italians. They don't sing like the Latvians. So they had to have a universal standard of judging that judged on the, you know, the, how, how they faithfully interpreted the music. Did they stay in tune? You know, some of those generic things. But what happened, Mike, is that the whole world came together in, in, in a piece. It was world peace coming together because we had this common denominator, like a religion, but it's not a common denominator of music and excellence in music. So people that were competing with each other were actually cheering each other on. And it was interesting when you're singing together, you're not shooting each other. So that's kind of a, a wonderful phenomenon that I got to experience. And so what's the commonality in, in how do we connect people in this pluralistic in a cohesive society? What's the common denominator that binds us together? Well, deep down, each one of us, every human being with no exception, aspires to have a decent job and is fully committed to taking care of our families, live a healthy life and retire peacefully. These are the common goals of all of aspirations. We want to, majority of us, want to get along with others, live our lives and let others live theirs. We are the happiest when we have the least conflicts with fellow beings. We always want to see the good win. You know, in every movie, 
is regardless of where the movie is made, as you mentioned about the choir, whether the movie is made in Nigeria, India, China, Japan, at the end, the villain loses, the good person wins. And we all cheer, we feel good about it emotionally. That is really who we are as individuals. We want to see goodness. We want to see people get along. We want to retire in peace. We want to see our grandchildren uh, happy. And above all, we want to know when we retire, can I be safe? Can I walk safely on the streets? Can I be secure? This is what binds all of us together. And we need to focus on what binds us together. Then we can achieve that. And that is what I was talking about the cohesive societies. To give you an idea here, if you look up the universe, there are billions of stars, meteorites, planets. All of them have their own space. They are on their own orbit. They are going. There are very few collisions. They may have happened a billion years ago, but each one has its own pace, functioning their own way. And if you look at our own human, band, human body, I'm talking about what a cohesiveness means. Look at our own human body, human body. To function, you and me or anyone normally, we have to have our brain, heart, kidneys, lungs, chest, uh, all of them have to work together. They are different organs. They have to work together for me to function normally. A short story, maybe it's a joke, I don't know how to say the punchline, but I'll go ahead and say it anyway. One day, the body organs were arguing. The brain says, look guys, I am the most important part in the human body. Heart says, hell no, I am the most. If I stop pumping, the whole thing collapses. Then the stomach says, if I don't process the food, nobody will survive in the long run, the energy. Then the chest says one thing, all the organs are fighting with each other. Who is more important? Then the little guy at the bottom who releases the, excretes the waste, he says, I am the most important organ than any of you. Everybody laughs at that little hole where we excrete things. You, you are important. No, you're a bad person. You're a bad thing to excrete bad things. He says, he, he gets angry. Let me show you why I'm most important. He shuts down two days. Everybody gets headache, body aches, stomachs bloats, and everybody. Then the organs decide, well, we have to talk to this little guy at the bottom. They say, please, you are the most important organ in the body. The thought is, every one of us in the society is important. We're all put together collectively. We are interdependent and dependent. And that's how we can function cohesively. No, no ind individual is less important than the other. So that is the moral of that little humor. Mm -hmm. I didn't say the punchline. You didn't? No, I was, uh, I didn't want to use the word for that. Uh, oh yeah, I get hope. it. I get it, you're being polite. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's the macro, you know, pluralism in society. Now we have people that, that listen to this, this show or watch it um, that are running an organization. So I want to ask you a couple of systemic things about process and how you run your organization, et cetera. But 
what you're talking about um, getting along with people of different opinions, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a micro to that inside of an organization. You know, I, I like to say, um, I, I've, until recently, I'd never been a member of any organized church, Christian church in my life, because I was a Presbyterian all my life. That's an old Will Rogers Democrat joke. And yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to have different skin color or a different God to be divided with opinions. And so, you know, we're, we're facing that in our organized mainline churches. There's, there's a lot of um, difference of opinion that has escalated to churches splitting off, which really weakens the organizations. And so there's a, there's a whole thing about how do we, and I think one of the common, common things is we're human. We're all God's creation. And looking yes. at everyone as being, being a perfect creation in God's eyes. Well, outside we look different, but inside there's a humanity to all of us and being connected on that level. So you talked earlier about the conversations that we can have with people. We, we've almost lost the art of ha- having meaningful conversations today. It's talking at people or yelling at people rather than talking with people. So as you had this vision for the, I'm loving what you're saying, by the way, if you can't tell. So you had this vision. Are you the founder of the Center for Pluralism? Yes, I am. And how many go, years ago did you found it? Uh, it was founded as Foundation for Pluralism in 1996. In 2001, 2011, we converted that to Center for Pluralism. And it's a for-profit business or is it a non-profit? Non-profit, non-profit organization. It's a non-profit, even though you have a com.com. Um, okay, yes. so you had this idea. What year was that? I forgot what you said. 2011. So it's recent. Yes. Recent. Um, Nine years ago. Yeah. And so a lot of, like 100 people have an idea. And the, the statistics show only three of them do something about it. And then only one in those, if you're lucky, will succeed. Mm-hmm. So how did you, what's the, give us the short story. You had this vision, so you had to put it together and you had to get a board, you had to get a team, you had to get all this stuff. I, you know, I look at the website, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. So sure, what did you do to make it happen? And is there something you can share with people that you wish you hadn't done? <laughs> that you a learning opportunity you had? Well, pluralism for a long time was not acceptable. For example, I went to the Southern Methodist University. The Dean of the Theology is a good friend of mine, Robert Hunt. And I gave him a presentation about pluralism to create a society where we learn to respect all faiths as legitimate. And you know, it's your mother is dear to me as my mother is dear to me. So is your religion and my religion. So we need to create a society where Americans and focus on enjoying life rather than fighting who is better, whose faith is better. So I offered the course at the uh, Southern Methodist SMU. And he looked at it and he said, finally, Mike, ours is a Christian university, Methodist. We believe we respect all religions, but we can never say all religions are equal. I said, I'm not saying all religions are equal. We're respecting that others to you is your faith, to me is my faith. If we did not do anything after that. Then I did a lot of radio shows in Dallas and including atheism, I always included that. 
and we did workshops on 13 different religions from atheism to Zoroastrianism. I never had a problem in Dallas, but come to Washington five years ago, wanted to do the same workshops. There was a huge resistance from the Christian churches, including Jewish places. They would not, they would not allow me to talk about atheism, including Muslims. And I said, this is shocking. Atheists are part of our society. Why are we excluding them? We need to including them. We need to learn about them. We have myths about atheism. We need to clean that myths and learn about who they are. They're individuals just like you and me. They got the same ethics, same morals, same thing they eat and do everything like we do. Just to believe differently. Why do we need to exclude them? So finally, the Church of Scientology allowed me to do the workshops and we did workshops. And uh, I think one of my missions is to do this workshop at the Capitol Hill. Many of our congressmen are not, and senators, are not familiar with other religions other than their faith, Christianity or Judaism. As a result, they make statements about other faiths that are not correct. So I want to do a short summary course for each one of them to learn to respect other faiths. Because if, you, if I say anything about your mother, you'll get offended. Same thing about religion. So that's how we did it. And the other thing that inspired me, I, you mentioned about the America Together Foundation. That's the main organization. On Sean Hannity, I was for about 110 TV shows and 150 radio shows. Bridget Gabriel, who is my friend, she and I butted our heads about 30 to 35 times. And she is bent on putting, pitting one American against the other. And I said, oh, this has got to change. So that's when America Together Foundation came into being. Say, Bridget, I, I, I expressed this on Hannity show to Bridget. Bridget, you keep pitting one American against the other. I will bring the Americans together and build a society where all of us focus on peace and prosperity rather than fighting whose religion is better or whose politics is better. So that's the story behind that. And the, the formation was very difficult here. It was not easy because nobody wanted to be a part of the pluralism. Even now, they don't want to be a part of pluralism because my religion is superior. I don't want to give the same value to other religions. Uh, I think we, it will take some time for us to get out of that mode and we will. The majority of the people are changing. There was a survey done in 1992 asking Americans, do you believe Christ is the only way? 92% of Americans said Christ is the only way to salvation. 8% said no. In the year 1996, 70% of Americans said Christ is one way of salvation and they included others. So there is a change in the society. And the interfaith organizations, nonprofit organizations need to update themselves. Maybe we need to do a mandatory continuing course where all of us, each faith updates each other, the developments, the new understanding of what their faith meant. Uh, for example, a year ago on the Capitol Hill, we did a seminar on how the scriptures, do the scriptures bring people together or put a distance between them. The Jewish 
tradition. We are the chosen people. Muslims say Islam is the only way. Christians say it is only through Jesus we have salvation. How grounded are these? These are true statements, but are they exclusive statement or is it meant for all humanity? Is God only for some people or his message for the whole humanity? So these were the discussions we carried on. It was a very powerful event. Uh, people walked away knowing that, yes, I am Jewish. I'm a chosen people. I'm chosen to do certain things to create, make the society better, but not chosen to be superior to someone else. Same thing with Islam and other traditions. There's been a gradual creep over the years before, before my time, so you can't blame it on me. <laughs> in, in my church, the Christian church, um, my wife and I read uh, the writings of Father Richard Rohr, R-O-H-R. I don't know if you know that name, but he's a Franc yes. Franciscan. And very often he will do references to Hindus or Buddhists or Muslims in some of the common, common threads. But he also uh, takes a shot at the organized Christian church that if you read the Bible, some of the things that we've done, we've gotten away from some of those core fundamentals. We've, we've made it a part of our society. It's sort of like the tendency, you know, in, in the Christian Bible says we're made in God's image. We tend to want to invent God in our image. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so we, we, we know we have to put things in ways we can understand it and, and God's not understandable. Uh, and so, you know, we've, we've, even within our own little social club of the church, we've, we've moved to a place that maybe isn't, isn't consistent with what we claim we believe. And so there's, a, there's probably a, a fear around some of these conversations. So I want to pause a minute. I want to come sure. back deal with some of those insecurities and fears, but I want to spend just a minute to talk about our, our sponsor, then I'll ask you about those fears, and then we got some people that would like to ask some questions of you. Sure. We'll give them a minute to ask some questions. So this is a, a, a it looks like an app. It's a virtual card. It's called an easy card, and so uh, if you had one of these for the center of pluralism, you could tell people, send a text to this number like I'm going to do right now, Okay. It's a five-digit number, 64600. If you open your text and you put the number in and down where the message is, you put LDR. And LDR, you're going to get this card for your phone. And so everything you want to know about this community we have, and this isn't Christian or Jewish. It's, it's, um, it's not the religion of, of uh, philanthropy. It's not the religion of music. It's, it's a gathering of like-minded people who want to bring value to humankind. And so this is a place we gather and we have conversations like you're talking about, Mike. So it's, it's a place. So I invite people to look at this and maybe you even get your own easy card. And if I typed in philanthropy, I would get Bob Hopkins. Hey, and Bob Hopkins is my buddy. I know that. So uh, we get youth philanthropy and we, uh, we learn things about philanthropy misunderstood. And so, in that book, there is my article. Is that in that book? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm smarter than I look. I, I recognize in this book, Philanthropy Misunderstood, it's a, it's, a, it's a fine book of great people. So easy card. If you get this easy card, there's a place that says you can have your own easy card. This is how you stay in touch with your tribe. You can send them text. They can get a hold of you. They get your text, your phone, your email, your website. So it's in the palm of your hand. 
they've got your organization and you can stay in touch with your yes. own easy card. Yes, sir. So let's talk about this. Um, we're all frail. We all have insecurities. Um, we all have belly buttons. We don't want to talk about them. But let's talk about um, people do a pushback when you're talking about um, this pluralistic. That's different than diversity. I mean, we got diversity. We got diversity in our society. It, we need to move toward equity and inclusive inclusivity. And through this, these conversations you're talking about is a good way to move the needle instead of saying, "Oh, you're this way and I'm not that way. We can't be friends." No, we can be friends. So, how do you deal with some of these? In insecurities, especially, I can imagine somebody saying, oh, that's going to erode our way of life if we do that. How do you, how do you speak to that? Absolutely. Let me share with a few things here. Uh, insecurities, okay. Last year, in 2016 or 17, everyone was talking about eroding our way of life. The Republican convention that was held in Philadelphia, even Theresa May, the Prime Minister of England, she said the same thing, we are losing our way of life. And that is very true. People are afraid of losing their way of life. I, as a home builder in Dallas, there were some homes where people wanted to paint their home purple. And it kind of people were looking why this, it will devalue the homes in the area. All these different cultures, traditions is causing the tension. The immigrants will change the society. America is not the same. All these fears are legitimate and we need to address them. And uh, we have the best guarantor of our way of life. That is subscribing to our constitution. If all of us stick with our constitution, there is not going to be any worry about it. If everybody believes in free speech, free will, and as Americans who are indigenous Americans, meaning those who are here for many generations, we need to welcome the new Americans. Instead of pushing them out, we need to embrace them and teach them the values that we have developed over the years or centuries. And if we teach them those values, those values will continue. If we don't include them, we don't embrace them and let them do what they want, which is their right. And then there will be a differences, growing differences. And then there is a fear that what will happen if they become senators and congressmen. But if they subscribe to the same ideals that you and I subscribe, then there is a cohesiveness. We don't need to worry. So I urge all my friends, my friends, who support Trump or who support Biden and who support none, all of them to come together and learn to embrace each other. Yes, we are different, but we can embrace each other. And our constitution is our guide. If we stick to that, we cannot go wrong at all here. And uh, our values that we have, we need to continue to educate. For example, the First Amendment, I am surprised when I talk with several of my fellow Indians or fellow Muslims, they have no idea about the First Amendment. They talk so much about other people, other nations, that I said, did you ever study America? Did you know what first free, uh, freedom of speech is, First Amendment is? 
they didn't. I think we need to take this up. Maybe we need to make it a mandatory course for citizenship that they have to take a First Amendment course, a two-day course, where they fully comprehend free speech and what American Constitution is. Then they will do the same thing that you and I do, and we don't have to fear that America, our values are going to change. America is going to be different. I love it. Does, I love it. So that first course is teaching them those principles. The second course ought to be a course in listening. It's a lost skill. <laughs> Doesn't mean you're. So, would you like to have uh, entertain some questions? There's people you may or may not know. Absolutely. There? But let me address the question you were mentioning about that in the Christian Church, in the Presbyterian Church, there is a movement to think reform, and uh, this book here called American Muslim Agenda. I wrote this. Uh, to bring reformation, I don't want to use the word reformation, to bring Muslims, Americans, together with fellow Americans, so they become the fully integrated part of America. So there is only one America. There is no two Americans. We are all one people. It's not you and me. So for that purpose, I wrote this book, America, Muslim Agenda. It's a good book to read for all those who want to understand America and what Muslims are doing. And it's also for Muslims to learn that we have to be a part of the society. And that is the agenda of Islam to create cohesive societies where no human has to live in fear. That is what Islam is about. So I, think, I, I can go to the questions now. Sure, I think their standard for volunteerism and, and, and tithing and, and sharing with others is probably higher than our custom. So, uh, Sheikh, um, Sheikh Rashid, are you there? You got your mic open, it looks like. You have a question. No, i just like to thank our uh, brother for his, uh, his very uh, uh, clear and presentation of what we understand, or at least I understand Islam to be. And um, what I've been working for over four decades to promote through our organizations. And it's a very clear concept. There is a concept that I uh, like to talk about, which is instead of unity and diversity, I like to call it diversity and unity, because I think it affirms what he's saying, and it's extremely important. But I think also, as you know, uh, you, that a lot of our emphasis is on uh, youth between the ages of 14 and 40 years of age globally, and in the United States. <clears throat> and we find that you know, I guess the, the question is, so if there is a question to my brother, M Mike Mohammed, Salaam Alaikum, Sidi. Wa Alaikum as I, uh, I guess it's, you know, how you yourself envision the, the arc of the future in the sense that, you know, I, we've been working for 50 years in our spiritual community and 40 years in Legacy International. Uh, and uh, I just got off of a, a three-hour webinar with one of our international programs we deal with the Department of State called Tech Girls. And what, what we did with them in the virtual reality, because they couldn't come here this year, they're scheduled for next year, is, is to present art and, art and uh, humanities, uh, UN SDGs, uh, technology, uh, to young young women from 19, 19 countries, and um, uh, what we did, we we did some training with them for the last three weeks. And they presented their programs today, and what I always find 
uh, is that I'm looking beyond my own lifespan uh, and to see, you know, what we call in the afaq, which is over the, what is over the horizon and how we work with the, with the youth. So comment, with you, if you will, on your approach to youth, and we can share that perhaps offline sometime. And I will introduce you, and um, Sheikh Rashid will be a guest in September on this show as well. Good. Well, we have to get involved with the youth because uh, we can even go back earlier to the childhood. Parents, let me use the very bold letter here, word here to you. Parents poison their children. Oh, yes. All, whether for parents, friends, teachers, clergy, all of them poison the children, telling about the other people's race, our faith, don't trust, as I mentioned earlier, Hugh, don't trust Jews or Muslims or Christians or the blacks or whites. This poison sits in child's mind. When the child becomes an adult, has to work in an environment where he has to work with a Muslim, Jew, Hindu, Christian, or others, he is not giving himself 100% because he's holding some reserve in him. He's not enjoying his own 100% of life. He's holding himself because his parents poisoned him. So I urge parents to teach children pluralism that is respecting the otherness. All of us are created by God. If God wanted, he would have created all of us are exactly alike. All males to be six feet, all women to be six feet or five feet, all men to be 200 pounds, have women to be 110 pounds. But God chose us to be unique. That uniqueness, I will repeat, our own thumbprint, eye print, taste bud, DNA. That is the unique. If our children learn that, yes, that child is different than me, but he is as unique as I am. Both of us are created by the creator God, and I have to accept him or her as equal to me because God is the one who created both of us. And if we can inculcate those values in children and youth, and they will become better citizens uh, where uh, these tiny differences splitting and pitting one against the other will go away. And instead we focus on how together we can create peace, harmony, prosperity, and security for every American. Love it, love it. So I got an important question for you. Is, um, is philanthropy a religion? If so, what's the greeting in philanthropy speak? Um, let's see if Bob has a question. Bob Hopkins, is, you're out. Bob, welcome Hello Bob. there. I'm so glad to hear you. Hi there, Mike. Good to be, good to be here as well with you. I see that my um, faces here look like little children, but I can change that later. Anyway, yes, thank you for being on the show. Uh, you know, you were in page nine and 10 in my book, which means you were <laughs> one of the first people that I chose to, um, to be in my book because I wanted to um, be more involved specifically with you and your concepts and your ideas because uh, even this morning, I got into an argument with another Christian. I'm supposedly baptized a Christian, and it seems like most of my arguments are with other Christians who take different uh, sides and different ideas than what I think the Bible said or what I think Jesus said or whatever. And I like your idea better just coming together with all people. 
tomorrow I start a class with Bangladeshi students, and most of them are Muslims, and they come from Eid. And when I talk about philanthropy, I hope to talk about that it includes philanthropy amongst all religions. And I may need you to come and be a speaker at some point to talk about how, what does philanthropy say in the Muslim faith? What does it say in the Jewish faith? What does it say in the Christian faith, et cetera? So when I say what is, and you said hello to everybody in different religions. So what's the hello in philanthropy? Caring for each other. <laughs> yeah. So. And uh, I just want to mention, Bob really expanded my horizons about the word philanthropy. Before I met him, I thought philanthropy means uh, rich persons donating money. But he expanded that philanthropy is anything good you do out of your will for fellow humans. It could be, that's right. <laughs> that's right. It says in the book on page nine, like he said, and it's your picture, a smile is philanthropy. So maybe That's what Prophet Muhammad said. That's a greeting, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Thanks, Bob. Appreciate you. All righty. Um, Jeffrey, Sandy, if you want to make a comment, you can open your mic and just ask uh, or ask a question. Uh, we have um, everybody here is from Virginia on this call today, except for there's one outlander who's in Texas. Um, but uh, let's talk a little bit more um, about how do you do this internally? Um, just one more comment from Mike. Wow, this is your time. <laughs> so Jeffrey's, so how do you form a board? Because, you know, nonprofit boards are notorious for, especially church boards, about differences of opinion. And so what kind of um, different perspectives do you have represented on your board? And how do you create some standards, some, some principles for engagement? Because certainly you want, <clears throat> I encourage, <clears throat> I've worked with nonprofit leaders for 32 years, and I encourage people to get others that aren't like them or don't think like them <clears throat> and aren't of the same age. Um, so to get all of this, this variety of perspectives on your board. So how do you put together your board for this kind of diverse operation that you're leading? It's a very difficult, especially for pluralism, because I have been searching for people. At least in our board right now, we have an African-American, uh, she represents the, uh, she's with the Presbyterian like you. No, uh, then we have a Baha'i guy and we have uh, a Turkish person. And maybe we got four races and four faiths representing. My ideal goal here is to have a person from every faith and tradition. Because if we send a press release about a, a conflict that is brewing in the United States, that press release should be acceptable to all the people. It should be so common that it is acceptable to all. So that is the makeup of our board. But the difficulty I'm having, which I'm expressing here, is to have people who cannot believe uh, that other faiths are equal, or at least other people's faith is dear to them as my faith is dear to me. Somehow everybody wants to say, my faith is superior, my faith is better. And uh, it will take me some more time to have the full board until we can coach and train people who start building. I'm a very confident Muslim. My faith is very dear to me, but I don't, I will never claim by you that my faith is superior to any faith because 
if I claim my faith is superior to others, I'm arrogant. God does not like arrogance. God is about building bridges, creating harmony. Arrogance destroys harmony. So if I claim my faith is superior, I'm destroying the harmony connection with fellow humans. So I will never do that, but it will take some time for people to get to that point. I'm waiting for that point. I'm trying to coach youth. I think I need to get with Bob Hopkins. He's got a lot of young people to coach them to see you. Be confident about your faith. I chose Islam. I'm proud of it, but I will never think any faith is lesser than mine. And that attitude we need to develop. And uh, that's where we are now. Our board comprises that. And we are also looking to include a Republican member on the board, advisory board and a Democratic, because we want all of us to focus on the issues that bring prosperity to all of us, not fit one against the other. That's great. And, I th I th and to think in those holistic terms, when we're, we're starting a board, I work with some startups and some early stage, and then I have some that have people on their board they wish they didn't have on their board because they didn't think through setting up some standards. I call them guiding principles from my study of the work of Murray Bowen, the center is near you in Georgetown University. Um, and it, it's really not bad or good, it is. And Richard Rohr speaks often about not having dualistic thinking. And part of, part of our core principles that we teach nonprofit leaders is that equality is the opposite of integrity. Now, I have three kids. They have the same genes. They have the same, same growing up conditions, same household. They're different. There's no equality, but they had equity and opportunity. And so I look at the Psalms in our Bible and, and God judges people with equity. And so if we quit thinking about, oh, we got to be equal, you know, this country was, was basically screwed up by all white guys. <laughs> and so for a young black American to say, I want to be equal with that is not accessing the gifts they bring to the table. Yeah. Equity gives you an open pathway to be who you are and genuinely who you are. And you don't have to pretend to be somebody else. So totally agree with that. hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. So I think it's about the words that we use that set up problems. Like we have this phrase we're saying with the has no meaning social distancing. Well, we're not distancing socially. We're distancing physically. <laughs> and so to the anti-pluralism in, in my early years, growing up in a very racist Atlanta, Georgia, if somebody lived on the same street, the white people changed the name of the street. That was called social distancing. <laughs> so, well, in Louisville, Kentucky, when the Muhammad Ali Center was built on the main street and the street was called Muhammad Ali, two law firms turned the building aside. They put the door on the other side. They didn't want their address to the Muhammad Ali uh, road. So that's social distancing. And so that's not what we're, at all what we're doing. We're more social than ever, but we have to be very careful as we go out in public and wear a mask and be careful. But my point is, we have to be careful of even in the choice of words that we use because it does set up some of these negative paradigms in these discussions, these negative feelings. It might, we might think it means something, but we never test it out what it's like on the other side. So I, th I think there's, a, there's more than just showing up and doing things. It's actually living it and being it, and then part of it's talking it. So um, what's the future for the Center for Pluralism? You, 
you're, I hope you're building a legacy. I'm trying to build one with Center Vision. So how are you, and I'm surprised how many nonprofits don't think about succession plans or legacies at all. So I'm sure you've thought about it. Well, two, two things. First of all, my, I'm, I'm very proud. My kids, both my, my son and daughter said, Dad, we don't need your money. You keep your money, you do what you want to do with it. So if I croak someday, my insurance money will go to fund the Center for Pluralism. And uh, I'm trying to work, find us somebody, an executive director who can run it. And we will set up the principles, one of the guiding principles to be part of the Center for Pluralism board is if you have bias towards race, faith, anything, that's okay. But are you willing to shed that bias? If you're willing to shed that bias, you're welcome to be a part of the team to coach and guide. So the, my, it is my legacy to, I'm looking to create an institution, uh, institutionalize it. The coaching we do, the workshops we do, I want to develop as a credit course, affiliate with a university or have our own institution where we teach pluralism to, for example, the leadership training, every city has got the chambers of commerce leadership course. They go through how the government is run, transportation, economy, and all those things. They, they lack how the social coming together is done. So I want to include that component in the leadership program all over the United States someday. I ended congressmen or senators or anybody in public sphere need to learn about other people, learn to respect the otherness of others. And uh, that is the legacy I want to leave. And I'm completely committed to provide funding whatever I have and whatever I gather to make this thing continue after I'm gone. Um, that sounds like you've really understood the word philanthropy. Yes. So how is philanthropy important in the work that you're doing with this center? Both, both uh, from you and for you. Well, as uh, the book you pointed out, as I, Bob had taught me, that even a smile if, if you don't have anything to give to anybody, from money to house to shelter to clothing, if I have zero things, at least I can smile and give hope to a fellow human. And that is philanthropy to me. And that's what our organization will do, give hope. Uh, Hugh, I just want to share this. On every Thanksgiving day, on every Father's Day, I write an article. It is published in the Huffington Post or some major newspaper. I give my telephone number and ask people that those people on Father's Day who have had bad experience with their father, who cannot celebrate Father's Day, call me to be a father figure for you for a few minutes. This Father's Day, I had five people call me crying out uh, that my father was this. I give them time to talk to me. I listened to them and they felt a relief. So this is part of what we are doing it. And Thanksgiving Day, Father's Day, Christmas Day, if people are alone, they want somebody to talk to, I give my phone in public, anybody can call me. I make time for that. And that if life isn't worth making other people happy, what is it worth them? I love it. Do you have, um, we're down to the last question here, uh, then I'll, ask, I'll give you the final say after I do another sponsor moment. Do you have, um, um, alliances, shall we say, with other 
I mean, you're an international organization, but you have alliances with national, international organizations that, that help both of you do your work better? We are known, well known here in Washington, D.C. Almost every nonprofit organization and human rights organizations and think tank knows us. And the State Department knows what we do. And uh, uh, Ambassador Brownback's department knows what we do. And we continue to expand. In Dallas, almost everyone knows me because I had a radio show and TV show. Almost everyone knows me there. So uh, that growth needs to be continued. Uh, lastly, if you allow me to say a few things. The, my vision for America is one nation under God. That is, we are all one people created by the same creator, our same cause. If you, don't, if you are an atheist, you don't have to believe in God, but it is the same cause that generated all of us. So we're grateful to that cause who generated all of us. And there is no country like the United States. Indeed, we are God's own country. You, it is the model for the entire universe to emulate us. We are blessed with everything God has created. We have every season, mountains, deserts, rivers, you name the seasons we have in America. We are a continent in ourselves. And we have every race, every ethnicity, every nationality. America is blessed, God's blessing. Everything anybody can find anywhere on the earth, you can find in America. I'm very proud of America. I'm very committed to America, very dedicated to America. 9-11 is a day, and since that happened, I dedicate my full day to serve my nation. And that day I don't do anything but serve my country. Together as Americans, we can make America a good place for every human being. I feel your passion. I'm gonna do a short um, sponsor moment, then I'm gonna ask you to end this with a challenge to the listeners. What would you challenge people to do? WordSprint is our other sponsor, WordSprint uh, prints and distributes nonprofit performance 360 magazine and WordSprint does mailing mail mail they get it in their hand and it's the right message to the right person and the right rhythm and your tribe remembers you remembers the good work and they keep on donating keep on supporting and keep on being advocates so go to wordsprint.com and look at what they do and ask for a free consultation with Bill Gilmer and his team his 20-year track record knows exactly how to keep you on track for your funding with your donors. So Mike, this has been great. What's the challenge you'd like to leave people with today? The challenge I would like to leave people is if someone comes to you and you walk away, turn your face away because you didn't like that person's race, ethnicity, or how that person looks, challenge yourself, why am I doing this? What is wrong with that person? What that person has done to me to feel that way. Each time you ask the question to yourselves, you will upgrade yourselves to be a universal human. In the beginning, Hugh, you mentioned, we created God in our own image, or vice versa. We have to be that God. God's sunshine shines on the dirtiest puddle as well as the crystal clear moon. If you want to be a God-like, we need to be open to all humanity, regardless of what they look like, what they believe, what they wear, what they say, how they sound. And that is the challenge for everyone uh, to do that. And of course, the last two things, read the book Philanthropy that Bob has written. And of course, this book, American Muslim Agenda. Philanthropymisunderstood.org. Mike Gauss, it's been a great 
interview. Thank you for being here. And thank you for all the great wisdom you shared with us. Thank you, Hugh. I appreciate that. And I appreciate showing that book that from Bob. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.